As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of On Farm. I'm Anna Davis and I'm very grateful that you're here listening to us again. We've got no royalty this time, unfortunately, though. Um, after the excitement of Monty speaking with Her Royal Highness the Princess Royal last week, uh, we are back to a little bit of normality. Um, but please do go back and have a listen to that episode if you haven't heard it. Princess Anne was on, on farm with us to launch a new research fellowship at the Morden Research Institute to try to find a cure for the dreadful and extremely mysterious disease that affects horses' equine grass sickness. So... She gave us a great insight into that awful disease and also talked about uh, her love of the Pony Club and riding for the Disabled Association. So loads of really interesting stuff to listen to last week. Now, something you might not realise about On Farm is how it's made and by whom. If you've been listening for a while, you'll know that I present some episodes while Monty, aka Ross Montague, is the host of others. Well, Monty and I together run a rural PR and marketing agency called Seen and Heard. We offer um, a range of comms services uh, going from branding and web building to uh, media relations, social media management, uh, videography and, of course, podcasting. Um, But we felt quite strongly for a while that rural Scotland um, needed more of a champion. So we launched On Farm because we wanted to create this new platform for rural businesses and rural communities to be able to tell the real story of what goes on within food and farming. So 50-odd episodes later, we're still here and um, we're really enjoying it. But the reason I make this connection today is that we're hearing from somebody shortly who Monty and I both deal with often on behalf of our PR clients. Um, So today's episode is a chat with Gordon Davidson, who is the news editor at The Scottish Farmer. Gordon is well used to me ringing him up or sending him emails and trying to tell him trying to sell him stories not tell him stories Um, and a bit later he'll share his best tips with you if you're a rural business and you would like your story to end up in the Scottish Farmer. We will get to that interview in a little while but first we've got a bit of news of something happening soon that might be of interest. Over two weeks in March starting on the 6th I believe the Scottish Rural Parliament is taking place. That is effectively a coming together of people from Scotland's rural and island communities to get their voices heard by those in charge. Now, March isn't very far away. In fact, you'll be listening to this episode on the 1st of March, but there is enough time for you to get involved if this sounds interesting or useful at all. So to tell us more, here is Acting Chair of Scottish Rural Action, Fiona Morrison. 98% of the landmass, including 93 inhabited islands, are defined as rural across Scotland because 80% of the population of Scotland lives in the urban towns and cities. So it's really important that the Rural Parliament 
is a voice for everyone living and working in rural Scotland. It's the only thing really that brings everybody from that rural diaspora together. There has been three previously, one in 2014 in Oban, uh, one in 2016 in Brechen and 2018 in Stranra. And here we are on a virtual platform this year and it starts on the 6th of March and will be spread over five days and numerous sessions covering all sorts of sectors of the rural uh, economy uh, until the 18th of March. Fiona says taking part in the Parliament is a direct line into policy making. So things are agreed at the Parliament and then will get written up as a manifesto which will be fed directly into decision making at Holyrood. So it's well worth getting involved and engaging. So the kind of issues that we're going to be looking at are democracy and local governance. And that is really important in rural communities. It's important everywhere. But if you're feeling slightly removed from the centre, then it's very important that you feel your voice is heard. We're going to be looking at tourism, but also the use of coastal land and the seabed, climate change, transport services, rural and island transport services, food, looking at the design of towns and villages and so on, and rural health and well-being. It's a whole range of subjects. So it's important that those who have lived experience of what that means for them in their community can come and feel that their voice is heard. Thank you very much to Fiona and wishing her all the best with the preparation for the important event. To find out more, just go online and search for Scottish Rural Parliament. You can find the programme of events and an option to register to take part. It's totally free and the Scottish Rural Parliament will be the subject of an on-farm episode in a few weeks so we'll be hearing directly from people who are actually taking part. But now on to the main event for this episode. I've no doubt you've seen his name plenty and read pages and pages of his work over the years, but never maybe known too much about the man himself. So I'm very pleased to say that here is the Scottish farmer's Gordon Davidson. Thank you very much for joining us. You and I have met each other many, many times before, but a lot of people listening will never have seen your face and never have heard your voice. Um, They'll just have read many, many pieces that you've written in The Scottish Farmer over the years. Um, We can't help them uh, when it comes to seeing your face uh, because we're a podcast. You're helping them by not letting them see my face, believe me. (laughs) Nonsense. Oh, Lord. I think I've got a good voice for radio. I've been told I've got a fairly good voice for radio, but not my face. Good God, no. (laughs) Well, here we go then. This is is as similar to radio. So, yeah, we, we do want people to have the opportunity to hear and learn more about you and what your job um, what what you do and why you do it. And then we might ask you to give people some tips at the end. If there's any business out there that's always wanted to be in the Scottish Farmer, um, you might be able to give them some tips as to how the best ways to go about getting some coverage. Um, but but I remember from a, um, a chat we had not that long ago, actually, we were sitting next to each other at the NFUS AGM and you were telling me that that your background has got absolutely nothing to do with farming. So I'd love to hear how you ended up and why you ended up working at the Scottish Farmer. Can you tell us a bit more about that? I wouldn't say absolutely nothing to do with it. My grandfather was a gamekeeper down at the Castle Milk Estate in Lockerbie. And my dad was probably heading in that direction as well. But then the Second World War dragged the whole family up to the shipyards in Glasgow to work in heavy engineering. Uh, so dad did that all his life. I was born in Clyde Bank, 
but what happened was when dad got a little bit older he moved back out into the countryside because he wanted to have dogs and pheasants and stuff even though he was still working as an engineer so I, I got moved out to towards Drimmon and uh, had a kind of upbringing that was a mixture of the city and also knowing how to you know catch a rabbit or uh, you know that kind of country stuff I had a bit of so when I went for the, the Scottish farmer interview I, I had a degree in communication studies out of uh, Glasgow Tech so I went for the Scottish farmer interview. Uh, basically, I was the only person there that had even the slightest connection to agricultural matters. I mean, lots <laughs> of people had applied for it, like journalists, but I was like, well, I once went out with yes. a farmer's daughter from Drimmon and <laughs> I helped I helped her dad with the sheep and, and I've had rabbits. And I was like, right, you're in. <laughs> so, uh, I, I mean, I got, I've lived in the countryside a long time, but, I, but certainly I'm not from a farming background. And and I don't want to give give away your age, but how many years ago was that when when you first joined? Well, I'm fifty four now, I think. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been there more than thirty years. I got my thirty year. Wow. I didn't get a gold watch. I think I got a, a gift card or something. That was a few years ago now. So time flies by when you're having fun. But I got maybe thirty three years. I've been there. I think I joined when I was about twenty two. Gosh, wow. And I think I think 33 years definitely qualifies you now as having an extensive knowledge of farming, which is evident when you read The Scottish Farmer. But um, I think 30 years is, is a very, very decent apprenticeship. You must have picked up an <laughs> awful lot over that time. Um, what, what, what do you think is, what's the most important thing you think you've learnt about Scottish farming since since you started at the, the tender age of 22? Well, you know, because I've, I've actually witnessed it in this kind of deep geological time way, you know, 30 years, is, is Scottish farming's adaptable. The, the stuff that was happening when I was first started there, it's completely changed. It's, in 30 years, it's completely changed. And everyone would say it's a very conservative, slow industry to change, but... <sighs> There's things that I first wrote about 20, 30 years ago that folk were laughing at the time, going, ha, you know. Things, things like organic food, things like environmental concern, wildlife. People just dismissed it out of hand. And now it's, it's the norm, you know, and it's beyond the norm. People are telling me about it now as if I don't know. And it's so it's a very adaptable industry and it has changed beyond all measure. Some of the people in it haven't changed right enough, but that you know it has changed beyond all measure. It must be you say is you know it's a very adaptable industry, which I think it is. Um, it must have really got under your skin though, because let's face it, if if you didn't like Scottish farming and you weren't interested in what it was up to, you would have gone off years ago to work somewhere else. So, what is it that's got yeah? What what is it that's got under your skin and made you stay in that job for thirty odd years? Well, first of all, the Scottish Farmer's a national paper. I mean, it has this kind of, we won't even call it a narrow focus. Maybe from the outside it looks like a narrow focus, but we concern ourselves with what's happening on like 80% of the landmass of Scotland from Shetland at the top to way down into Northumberland. You look at it, things like the Scotsman and the Herald are actually quite parochial. All they care about what's happening about a square mile in the middle of each capital city. We, 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 we are the, the whole country. You know, if, if, if a ditch gets blocked somewhere up in Lawrence Kirk, we'll hear about it. If, uh, you know, a fox dies in unfortunate circumstances and people sure will hear about it. You know, it's, we're to totally Scotland's national paper. We're right down in the detail of the villages. I mean, we don't carry that much of that. We hear it, we hear it. We, we, don't, we don't often print it. 
So, so, so it's fascinating. I mean, you get to travel <laughs> from, as I said, Shetland down into England and meet people and see the countryside and, and so much variety, so much variety in the, in the job. You'd be writing about different stuff every week and meeting different people and hearing new ideas. So it's, you know, from the outside, it might be, oh, it's just farmers moaning about the price of whatever. But within it, it's, it's, it's fascinating and ever 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 changing indeed and and it's more than just far than just farming i say just farming i don't mean just farming but it's more than farming it's it's farm diversification it's it's all the other things that are happening on farms and or being run by farmers or members of the family um so there is so much more to it and as you say it's that's changed exponentially over the years well yeah i think i i remember when back when i had more hair and, and less and less waste. Uh, the, the the wind turbine thing was coming up on my radar a little bit. I was hearing from some people, and I went to I think the publisher and the editor and said, you know, I think we should put some pages in about renewables. And it was like, nah, well, you know, we'll give you one page and see how it goes. <laughs> and and now, oh, I mean, the turbine thing's almost past its peak, I would say. But uh, but but that's been a, that's been a great. Oh, and that, that's not finished yet. Uh, I remember speaking to Maitland Mackey because he was he was ahead of the curve on this thing, and he was trying to get lots and lots of farmers to sign up for for a, a sort of dis- dispersed energy company. So if everyone put in some turbines and pulled it a bit like the milk boards and pulled this energy, they could be as big as SSE or whatever. And he never got never got to do that, but his thinking was great. I still see farmers as being. I could diverge here quite a lot, but <laughs> back in the back in the day, you know, go back to the eighteen and seventeen hundreds. The farmer would be not quite the local laird, but he'd be very much depended upon by the local village. He'd be the employer, he'd provide the food, he'd provide the fuel. And it would, you know, the, the farmers would sit around the village and be keystones of the community. Uh, you know, that's kind of gone. You know, Kilmarnock forgot it was a an agricultural town and just became what it was. And, and the, the farms exist around it and near the twain shall meet. There's a future coming, perhaps, when farmers, if you've got storage, energy storage on farm, if you have batteries, if everyone's got electric cars, that farms will become, once again, really important to their local community. People will go up, charge their car, get their milk from the vending machine and such like, and the farm could once again become this sort of central point of, of, of uh, rural communities. And as we're all working from home, maybe rural communities are going to become more important because why the hell would you go to the city? All the shops are shut. The parking costs are bomb. And 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 you're not you're not meant to work in an office anymore. So a, a decentralised country would would drive economic activity back into the rural areas and the need for power, the need for food, and that could be farmers. Yeah, absolutely. And and I suppose we've kind of seen that. You know, we've so we're almost a year now since lockdown one started, and we we interviewed just just one example here, but we interviewed a, a young, very young girl from Aberdeenshire who took it upon herself to set up. Um, a food hub basically you'll know about this um, she rallied together over 50 local food producers um, and set up a delivery system to, to the local community well that that is all about putting farmers and the small scale food producers many of whom are farmers many of whom aren't um, putting them back at the center of our universe effectively um, 
And that's happened locally to me. Um, you know, the dairy farm, uh, Yes to Farm Dairies, who set up a delivery system. Now it, it, it's looking like it's going to be a permanent fixture, which is fantastic. And, and they are very much becoming more of a hub. Um, they're not just selling their own products, but products from other local businesses. And so I think what you say is true and perhaps accelerated by by the necessity of COVID and us all being being stuck at home. So it's, it's a good thing, really. If that's the legacy of COVID, it's, it's a great thing. It make us a bit more like the French. I think Britain lost its connection with local food during the war. We got we got very fond of spam and and things arriving in tins from the central government, and and we just never got over that. Whereas now we're being forced back out into the countryside, and it has implications for public health as well. If if people start eating a bit more locally, a bit more fresh, it improves public health, which which has which just has huge implications for the NHS. So, you know, it all comes back to food and your choices, and if if. I don't want to denigrate supermarkets. They did their job, but I think people are maybe looking at that model now and going, well, this is maybe not sustainable anymore. Yeah, yeah. And demands demands are changing. People want that traceability, what they want that local, um, and they want that quality, um, which isn't always delivered by the supermarkets. Sometimes, not always. Just going back to something you said earlier, which really piqued my interest, um, when you said, you know, if it's going on, we hear about it. Um, and that's really interesting because, you know, I run a PR company. So, you know, I'll send you a press release if something's going on in my world. Um, not everybody's going to send you a press release. So I'm really curious, you know, do you get a lot of phone calls, emails, carrier pigeons um, from people all over the country who are saying Scottish farmer need to know about this? I'd, I'm really curious how, how the wider community communicates with you. Now, I get a little bit of that. I get a little bit of that, but I mean, I'm I'm pretty much a desk jockey, you know, so I, I don't get nearly... We, our, our network would be the, the business end of the, the, the operation, you know, the, the people from our... who go out to the sales and shows, uh, they, and they they get tip-offs given verbally. That that That's the main way, is that I heard this, I heard that, that that's the most common thing. And people go out to do farm features and you, you go to a farm feature. I know I do do farm features myself occasionally, but not nearly as much as some of the rest of them. And you hear all sorts in a farm feature. You don't, you can't print half of what you hear. So no, a lot, a lot of it is verbal. A lot of it is verbal. We, do, we used to get lots of letters. I don't think anyone sends letters anymore. And if they do, they're not getting to me. Emails, of course. But, you know, people don't like putting some stuff in writing. So more often than not, it is because we are out and about up and down the country, not this last year, but generally meeting, meeting folk face to face. That's that's where you're hearing stuff. And, and I, I do the farm shows during the summer or do my share of farm shows during the summer. And that's a great place for picking up stories and scurrilous gossip and slander and, and, and so on and so forth. <laughs> Printable stuff and stuff you can't print, as you said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that kind of was that. That's interesting because that that verbal chit chat, the informal stories, hasn't been happening for the last year. Uh, and how how's life changed for you and for the Scottish farmer since the pandemic struck? Well, we're all working from home, uh, which which obviously uh, that that was from March last year which probably suits maybe the majority of them because we've got some far-flung farmers, you know. We've got Patsy's there up in Creef and Kenny's down in, in the borders. So, you know, it'd be quite a pain for them to travel into the to city centre Glasgow every day to write about farming, Where what better place to write about farming than sitting on a farm? So if, if, for us, on a practical day-to-day basis, it's fine. We're all sat and we could be on screens like this, or to you. What we are missing is, get, is getting out and about, uh, 
the Scottish farmer during the summer runs on show coverage. You know, I'll, in the news mm-hmm. section, I'll be putting in photos of that are taken at shows and the, the, the pages will be full of pictures of cows. And of course, we didn't have any of that last year. None of it. No, we're, no. we're having to dig through archive stuff to put in. And that was a... Yeah, it was a blow, you know. Tough. I know, and they're starting to be cancelled left, right and centre again. They, they are. Um, they for are. this year, yeah. So it could potentially have another year of, of the same, which is really sad for, for so so many reasons. Um, But I guess it's, you mentioned right at the beginning in your introduction that you're also, you know, in charge of digital content. Um, And I'd love to explore that because, you know, the way in which people consume news is different now, you know. Um, five years ago, nobody had heard of a podcast, really. And, you know, people are, are on social media. So uh, you've, you've still got and you will always have your, your core readership who like to see a physical copy of The Scottish Farmer. But tell us, can you tell us a bit about how your readers are, are changing the way that they interact with, with you uh, in this kind of digital world? Certainly our digital footprint... Uh has has increased this last year the the website traffic has gone up i think uh, at the beginning of last year i was worried that this is it we've got nothing interesting to tell people they'll just not come but because they're not getting out and about as much the website has got much busier uh i'm, I'm doing more of a daily news service than i think i've ever done obviously social media is the big the big deal as well it's something like 50 percent of our traffic comes via facebook so folk are going on social media and seeing stuff and then going on to the website and reading about it. Well, it's 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 never end. You know, social media media is never ending. It doesn't finish at five o'clock when most people would like to be heading home or switching off the computer. So it's a big responsibility. How do you manage it on a practical level? Do you have a rotor of responsibility within the team for who's posting on social media, or do you just kind of play it by ear? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm at my computer more than most, so I kind of take charge of the, the news side of things. Uh, Julie White on the business desk certainly takes charge of a lot a lot of that side of things. But everyone in the office uploads to the web, uploads to social media to to some extent or another. What what we're trying to finesse a little bit is when people actually want to see it. You know, yeah, social media runs twenty four hours, but farmer social media is from kind of six o'clock in the morning till about one o'clock in the afternoon. And then maybe a couple of funny things for the evening. I think we all need a bit of a mood lightener sometimes. Um, have you got any particularly funny stories from your 30-odd years working at the Scottish Farmer and, and meeting farmers? Obviously, the ones that you that are suitable for broadcast, but uh, oh, there must be, be no, a few, are there? No, no the, the, funny, <laughs> the funny stuff is, can go in my uh, autobiography. Oh, point. right, yeah. <laughs> When's for, that going to be available? When I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> Have yeah. you started writing it yet? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Good. It's a bit this thick already, but you know that's that, that, that. Literally, that gets handed to my family when just as the coffin disappears into the burner. You know, hey, here you go. And I suppose you're working in the right place to get a publishing deal for that. So that's probably all like you know, all sorted already, is it? I've I've I actually wrote the my next door neighbour through the wall there, who's now sadly passed away, was a kind of ninety five year old Jamaican man who came to, came to Glasgow during the war literally on a banana boat. That's where the, the phrase comes from. Do you think I came up the Clyde on a banana boat? The Fife's boat used to bring Jamaican immigrants in and he ended up working for the RAF uh, as, a, as a Morse code operator, then became uh, a head, head school teacher. He was, was Glasgow's or possibly Scotland's first black head school teacher. Wow. Uh, so I, I did I did his, autobiog- his biography, autobiography a couple of years ago and uh, so I'm... I know how to do an autobiography. Oh, amazing. 
amazing. His life was more interesting than mine, to be fair, you know. There'll be plenty of people within the Scottish agricultural industry who should or deserve to have a, a biography written about them. So perhaps that, that'll uh, keep you busy in your retirement. You can have a second career. I think if there was more, if there was more time now, because we're just basically filling the news pages all the time, sometimes it's only when someone's obituary comes in you go, wow, that's a really interesting story. That deserves three or four pages and an interview when he's still alive or interview her when she's still alive. So Yeah, that just shows there's more to farming than rearing stock and growing crops. There are so many people, interesting people out there. You know, I suppose Maitland Mackey, you mentioned one of them, didn't you? There are, so, there are people, it's the people who make, things happen you know whether it's the current fight against climate change or whether it's uh, whether it's a disease outbreak it's the people that come up with solutions and the people that make stuff happen it's that old debate about uh, history being is it broad social movements or is it driven by individuals i mean you look at somebody like Mackey, he that was an individual who just did not need to put himself to that much trouble but by doing so, he just dragged the whole industry a couple of degrees in that direction, you know. So, yeah, you mentioned you used to play, Gordon, and I remember you telling me not that long ago um, about your band. So, um, again, that you and the other the others within the, the Scottish Farmer team, probably nobody realises what you get up to when you're not actually busy uploading to social media or writing for the paper. So tell us a bit about your band. Oh, the band. I've always been in bands. It's uh, Yeah, when I, when I moved into Glasgow when I got married... I fell in with a crowd of people uh, that, that put on band nights down uh, a place called the 13th Note down in the city centre, which coincidentally is at the centre of Glasgow's vegetarian community, but uh, keep that quiet. Uh, a lot of those folk that I used to know when they were wee are kind of semi-famous now, so I've always kind of enjoyed a kind of plankton-like backwash of nutrients from their careers you know oh, nice. <laughs> you know what i mean it's just that's sort of, free tickets uh, and stuff free like that. tickets yeah. free tickets but you look at the price of a concert tickets these days it's quite handy to know someone that'll get you on a guest list you know 40 50 pounds i'll take yes. that that's good yeah. yeah so so that's all i mean because i was when i was quite young when i started the scottish farmer 21 22 uh it was quite good to have a separate life that had nothing to do with cows and sheep uh, so I've, always, I've ran a record label still technically running that record label now the last thing we released was a Christmas single just there so so yeah yeah it's, it's, it's a good wee good wee a good wee side thing definitely and a, and a distraction as well I suppose to we all as you said we all need something else to focus on as well as just the job so having something else to do is absolutely and I, I mentioned at the beginning that we might try and pick your brains for a few tips so you must have some fairly dreadful and, and terrible approaches from people wanting coverage, but you must also have some fairly good ones. So what what works and what doesn't in terms of wooing Gordon Davidson? Honestly, the, a, a simple email is much better. Sometimes people will send us a great big bundled package, which has got an email introductory letter, a, a press release bundled into it, a bunch of links. And it's too much because I'm, I'm get hundreds of emails a day. One paragraph going, hello. You know, we are here, we've got this business, you know, would you be interested? And I could read that in a second and go, yeah, I'm interested. So in many ways, that that first approach should be simple. Then I'll say, go and send me some photographs, send me a press release. Keep it simple. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But we're very approachable. I mean, the email address is in the paper and my phone number's in the paper. And, you know, it's just, just, just speak to us. The more corporate something seems, the more likely I am to resist it. 
you know. <laughs> that's, yes. <laughs> that's the problem. But certainly we do cover a lot of diversification now and, and I would probably argue with the, the powers that be in the Scottish farmer should cover even more of it because that's the way things are heading. Uh, I've, I have I have done, when Karen Carruth was with us, we did, uh, there was a lifestyle magazine I've involved in the paper. Mm-hmm. I remember, yeah, it and was good. And we'd, we'd uh, mm-hmm. go and review sort of farm-based tourism thing, which is great. I'd get a free night in a glamping pod. But, you know, you could you can write about it. You can write about the farm and the history. And like I said earlier on about maybe meeting farmers and finding out more, that that was a chance to do it. You'd, you'd write a thousand words about the experience of staying on this farm and the history of the place and the, the going back hundreds of years even. And that was, that was quite enjoyable. It's a different kind of feature for me to write. You know, a, a, a big blathery feature, which obviously I would enjoy, rather than doing a news story. So, if if people have got an interesting, I, I did a feature on the the, the Finleys at Galloway, yeah. as I was saying, that was great. Just just to hear them talking about their enthusiasms and all the different stuff they were doing. Uh, so. Yeah, just get in touch. Uh, I wouldn't say there's any magic trick to it. No, it's it's for me. I mean, overload I, it. Um, I, I'm not always successful in, in persuading you to cover cover what I'd like you to cover, but I I, sh- I shouldn't always be successful because th- that would be ridiculous. But from my perspective, I think it's it's all about the story and it's all about the interest. If you don't have a good story and it's not interesting, then change it because it's got it's got to be interesting to whoever's going to be reading it ultimately, hasn't it? Yeah. Oh, an angle, an angle is always useful, you know. If, yeah. if there's something that stands out, but uh, the Scottish farmer has been writing roughly the same story for for the our hundred and how long have we been going? Eighteen, eighteen seventy two. You do the maths. About one hundred and fifty oh, years. Oh, my maths is terrible, but that's yeah. a lot, a lot, a long time. <laughs> so you know, we we we've been writing the same story pretty much solidly since then. You know, prices are up for a. Uh, heifers at Hawes you know yeah, yeah. So we're quite used to writing the same story again and again with just slightly different figures so well yeah in the milk price story that my very first day working at NFU Scotland I got on a plane and went to Westminster because they were it was you know they were lobbying against poor milk prices and um you know it, you said you said you know, a lot has changed in 30 years but sometimes certain things don't change um, yeah, no, I, I hope that in 30 years' time, you're putting your feet up and not still writing God, so uh, for the Scottish farm. <laughs> You'll be writing your, your biographies for people. So maybe if we take a slightly shorter time frame, what mm. about 15 years? Where do you think the Scottish farmer will be in 15 years? You've said, you know, there's a constant effort to remain relevant and you want to cover more things that are relevant to people like diversification, et cetera, et cetera. But where do you think the Scottish farmer will be in 15 years from now? Yeah, I think we'll still be going. I think if you do it right, if we do it right and and more people do move back out into the countryside, which Mm. I I would imagine there'll be a drive towards that. If we maybe put a bit more attention into food and and if there is going to be a network. I mean, we've got farm shops out there, we've got garden centres, we know the, the score of those kind of Dobby's type places. But if there's going to be a lot more of them, a lot more decentralised that, we should be covering that, we should be cataloguing that, we should be reviewing those kind of things. And if you're someone who's moved out into countryside and perhaps you have five chickens uh, and and a desire to find some nice hummus on a Sunday morning. We should be serving that audience as much as we serve the farmer audience. But we can do we can do both. I mean, there's people who don't invest in stocks and shares that buy the Financial Times. Uh, you, you know, I think we still have to be a business paper for the for the farmers. That's a central part of it. That's that's a core part of it. We can't just become 
I don't want to use the word fluff, but I'm going to use the word <laughs> fluff. It can't all just be fluff. There has to be a central core of business facts and, and coverage and the things that we cover, the sales, we have to cover them and be that asset for the for the businessmen. But we can surround it quite nicely with 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 the, the change, with the diversification, with the, the local food and with the, the animal welfare and all these things that will appeal to a broader audience. So broaden our base, become uh, Scotland's national rural newspaper. I like that. I like that Something phrase. Like that. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Yeah. Um, right, Gordon, I'm not going to take up much more of your time um, because you've got a busy afternoon ahead, I know. But a final question before you go. Um, it might be simple. It might might not be. Um, what What makes your job worthwhile? Why do you keep doing it? The free food. <laughs> this is, we're all devastated that well the Highland show is technically meant to be going ahead. Technically they're yes, planning to go hope. they're planning to we go hope. ahead, which is the right way to approach it. Yeah. And because the Highland show, cheese. Everywhere you look there's cheese on sticks. It's brilliant. <laughs> no, but what what makes it worthwhile? Every week, if you put out a paper and go, that's a good story and folk are going to like that or that's a great photo, folk are going to like that. You tend to forget sometimes that you're doing this for an audience. It's easy to forget that. You're doing it to keep the boss happy. You're doing it to keep folk on other desk happy. You just, you know, oh, you're doing it to get paid. That's what you think. But then you look at the paper and go, folk are going to read this. This is our Saturday morning and the, that's going to be interesting and that's going to be interesting. Yay, we've done it again. You know, that's that's what it's... Always got to be thinking of the end user rather than the circumstances around you, you know? Definitely, yeah. And I think seeing that in the flesh, that's why I still love, you know, physical magazine because seeing that in the flesh is different somehow and it must give you that kind of added sense of satisfaction. Yeah, and we, we get frequent, frequently get told that you cannot line a sheepdog's basket with a laptop. <laughs> oh, Gordon, I really appreciate you chatting. Thank you very much. No, no worries at all. Gordon Davidson, news editor of the Scottish Farmer newspaper. Many thanks to him for his time and his tips and his entertaining stories. Um, just a reminder, the On Farm podcast, Telling Rural Stories, is made by our team, Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. So that's the company that Monty and I run together and we can help you with any PR, comms or marketing issues. So just get in touch if you think we can help you. And we're very much look forward to uh, seeing you again next week. Mm-hmm.